Morning, everyone. I have a question for you. And I'd like an answer from about two or three people. I'm going to ask you, how are you feeling this morning? And I'd like you to be honest. Right? Let's some someone on this side. Expectant. Hmm. Sorry? Blessed. Blessed. Good. Two positives. That's good. You're glad to be here. Yeah. I think that deserves a round of applause, don't you? We are glad to be here. We're actually reminded that we should enter enter his courts with praise and gladness is on our hearts. But um, it's just just a little list a little test to see how we're feeling. Um, someone might be just feeling absolutely yuck and they just didn't want to say it. But, you know, God wants to meet us wherever we are, at whatever situation. And um, largely, um, I'm here this morning to talk about growing in prophecy, whether I'm actually going to meet and answer and, and, and meet that demand on me this morning, I'm not quite sure. Um, because... Um, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself to be a prophet, in a sense, and um, um, some people have said I have a prophetic gift, um, but sometimes you don't always see it yourself, so, and so I try to sort of manoeuvre around that. But God wants to meet us where we are. But just to go back a step, as I was, I was praying this morning, uh, I don't know about you, but I, don't know, I just feel in my spirit um, that there's a basic need here in this room. And this is the need. You've probably heard of a Jezebel spirit in the Bible, and it's about a, uh, um, about a woman who, who, whose spirit was actually terrible and awful. But then this, the Holy Spirit suddenly said to me about the Jericho spirit. Now, that refers to a story in the Old Testament where um, the Jewish people, the Israelites, God had brought them in into the Promised Land, and the first city that they were to take was, to Jer- was Jericho. And the, uh, I think one of the main points of that story was getting the wall down. The wall had to come down. And I sensed in my spirit as I was praying this morning, I could see a wall around this room. And I feel it needs to come down. But I felt that wall for several weeks. And I believe the Lord wants us to get in there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a couple of, couple of people just to walk around the perimeter of this room and the rest of us to pray, exalt Jesus and pray in tongues that that wall might come down. Because I believe we need to hear from God. I need, believe we need to hear powerfully from God. I think to assess the church sort of globally... Churches do fall into two categories, basically, alive or dead. And I think we need to recover some of that spirit of aliveness here in Beacon. I asked you how you felt, but I don't know if anybody else feels like that about our being together. I see we need, we need a fresh Holy Spirit encounter. The prophecy that I'm hopefully going to talk about in a minute is a very important work of the Holy Spirit. 
None, no prophet can work without the power of the Spirit in the cause of God or the cause of the gospel. He's totally reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to ask two willing people. And if one could walk around that way and the other one walk around the other way, around the perimeter of this room, just to, in a sense, in the Spirit, to pray those walls down so that we might go in. So that we might go in and claim the city. We want to claim Beacon for God, don't we? We want to claim it, that we might be a powerful force in our day in Herne Bay. Not to celebrate us, but to make God's power available to all people, even to ourselves. So who's going to be willing to pray with Barb? You go one way, not really us. John, April, you join in as well. It doesn't matter how many we got. Let's, so you just go around the perimeter of this room and the rest of us. So let's pray in the Spirit and lift up the name of Jesus, and pray in tongues. And Father, we come in the majesty, the majestic name of Jesus, Lord. And Bob reminded us from Peter this morning how that he's the capstone, he's the most important one. And we want to exalt Jesus this morning. Father, he's the hope of the world, he's the hope of the nations. Lord, he's the hope of our hearts. Lord, he's the hope of everything, especially for our government at this time, Lord. And even to have a breakthrough, this COVID, Lord, and the, the, the mental pressure it's bringing on our nation. So we come in the name of Jesus and say this morning, Father, we just pray that we want to move in and for that wall to come down in Jesus' name. So we might go in and possess the blessings that we might know every spiritual blessing in heavenly place in Christ. Lord, we want to claim our inheritance this morning. Lord, we want to, we want to claim our inheritance and know your goodness and know your strength, Father, we pray. Come Holy Spirit amongst us today, in Jesus' name. Thank you. <clears throat> Paul, can we have this first slide up? I don't know about you, but out there in the world of politics and commerce and all things worldly, um, there's been a battle for the truth. This was the front page of the Star, and I'll read it to you. It's actually a clip from a, uh, from a television program called Yes, Prime Minister. Some of you will know it, but I'll read it to you. The precise correlation between the relevant information you communicated and the facts insofar as they can be determined and demonstrated is such as to cause an epistemological problem of sufficient magnitude as to lay upon the logical and somatic resources of the English language a heavier burden than they can reasonably expect it to bear. That is to say, you may have told an absolute whopper, sir. <laughs> I think um, sometimes what we tend to understand about prophecy, that it's couched in a sort of a language that we can't understand and we just can't fight our way through, through it. But uh, in a sense, at the heart of prophecy and the prophetic, and I'm going to use those two words almost interchangeably this morning, is a battle for the truth. I think we've seen that in our government this week. We've seen it in three cases. Uh, uh, the, the party, the political party today for Prince Andrew, was a battle for the truth going on there. Novak Djokovic and a host of other demanding situations, there's always a battle for the truth. 
I believe as a church, that's the same. Um, if I were to put out a warning this morning, um, I would say this. Watch what you read, watch what you listen to, and do check it out, because out there, especially on YouTube and other parts of the internet, there is just so much, some of it's rubbish, but other of it's so dangerously close to the truth that we need to be aware of it. There is a battle for the truth. The truth that we know that is given that the church should operate in and that knows Jesus and exalts his name and provides salvation for men and women and boys and girls. And that is at the heart of the truth. God's purpose in the earth today. God's purpose in the earth today. So what is prophecy and what context is it most active? Well, I was trying to have a little picture of prophecy this morning and I, I, I saw it like this. I saw a little round circle in there. I saw little lines going off here and there like that. A bit like a, a, bit like a spider, but not quite. And um, I saw prophecy sort of, of the hub, that bit in the middle there, and it's almost like the core of what God works through, whoever he draws in to do and do his purposes. Prophecy is part of that because it speaks into that what God is doing. And true prophecy, the authentic prophecy, actually speaks truth from that position. So if we have the hub in the middle and we saw little lines going off and... Uh, just envisage a team sitting around the table um, and we're just talking about something, someone will ask a question. Someone will ask a question. Who will ask that question? Asking the right question. Who knows who is able to add into that to suggest someone else? And very often, when you're sitting around the table I've had camp meetings, and, you, and you, you, you come to a conclusion. Everybody has a suggestion. In the end, you choose up who does this and who does that and who does the other. And prophecy is a bit like that. It's the hub through which God works. It's the hub. God speaks in many different ways. And you know that, that verse in Hebrews where it says, In many times, in time past, God has spoken under the prophets. And in these last days, he's spoken to us. Through his son. But prophecy wasn't dispensed with, but Jesus is the core, he's that hub. It's the one to everything is managed and it works through. That is, that, is the, that, that, that is the prophetic. Prophecy, you know, it it can work outside of the Bible as we know it, but it can't work against the Bible. For example, um, in Scotland, my dad used to order packets and packets of a little pamphlet which was called Emergency Post. And it used to have stories and anecdotes about the Christian scene, where how people had come to know Jesus and what, how they could be blessed through knowing Jesus. And he used to give out hundreds of these emergency posts. And I used to love reading little stories as a boy. And um, this, I always remember this story, and um, it actually... <clears throat> It actually puts what I said just now in context that prophecy can work outside of the Bible, but it can't work against the Bible. A family of four was sitting in a 
in a, in a church building and they were hearing a preacher and he was speaking. And there, this is some time ago. It was in Scotland and there were just, there were just four lights in this building and uh, three of them were on and one of them was out. And this family was sitting there and uh, one, of these, one of these family members was looking up and a phrase came into his mind, three in, one out. Three in, one out. And it turned out he was the only member of his family who wasn't a Christian. But that was a prophetic word came to him about his need of Jesus. That was a prophetic word. But it wasn't working through the Bible, but it wasn't working against it. God's truth was being manifest that he had a need. And part of prophecy is that God wants to shed light on things. He wants to bring it, he wants to expose it. And to, for us to know what the real truth is, and sometimes he used what we call prophets, and in the context of the New Testament, more so the gift of prophecy, which is given to us by the Holy Spirit. When there's a prophecy about a prophecy, we need to sit up and take note. And in Joel 2:28, which is a minor prophet of the Old Testament, and this is what we read. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And then it goes on, and I love this little word even. It says even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. That is an example of amazing prophecy which, to which it was pointing to the church being birthed by the coming and the power of the Holy Spirit. That was a prophecy written down in part of the Old Testament. So when a prophecy is made about a prophecy, we need to sit up and take note that within the context of the church age, there would be an amazing spiritual dynamic that God would use to manage his church and for things to happen and for it to go forward. And largely that was done on the basis of prophecy. For a moment, I just want you to think about, if you can remember the, the story of the New Testament. Uh, Peter uh, a, had been a disciple, an apostle of Jesus, and uh, he had the task of preaching that amazing sermon when the Holy Spirit came. On that day, there were 3,000 people added to the church in Jerusalem. But I think there were far more people who went back to their homes in different places from which they'd come. But who was going to manage all these people? There were no tracts or pamphlets to, live to, uh, to hand out to the people how they might continue in their spiritual journey as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But something was become very important, and that was the power of prophecy, the power of the prophetic amongst those people speaking into each of their own individual situations. It was going to draw them into units called churches. And it was going to say to them that the churches, as part of the global church, was God's new dynamic in the earth. And the prophecy was going to work through that and bring these people into a little bit of order, if we might to say. And um, later on in Acts, we will find a group of people called 
the Bereans, and they searched the scriptures daily so that they might know how to go forward in what God wanted them to do. And so I just want to refer you back to last week where Bob talked about feasting, feasting on the Bible. The Bereans searched the scriptures. The backbone, the spine of our Bibles as we know them today is prophecy, is the prophetic. And its internal management and internal reference is such an amazing thing that that is our truly reliable source. As we remember the prophets who spoke, and I gave reference to one just now in Joel, the fact that God is speaking in his church today. He has a word for all of us, and that word is managed in the base, on the basis of the prophetic that God has placed in his church. The church had been born, and nothing would ever stay the same. These early years, though, of the New Testament, they had no literature except what we know as the Old Testament, which had sufficient information for each of them. I just want to put up another slide, Paul, if I could, please, and explain it. I don't know if you've ever seen... I really wonder at the starlings when they move and they make a pattern in the air. That's such an amazing, supernatural thing. I want to explain this because I just want to give weight to what Bob said last week, but also maybe to encourage us how fundamentally important the Word of God, our Bibles, are in whatever we do, and especially, especially in the prophetic gifting. My, the title of the message this morning is How to Grow in the Prophetic, and I don't believe any of us can grow sufficiently in the prophetic without the thorough use of our Bibles. In our Bibles is contained the Word of God, and it's contained, it is very truth. Now, if I get up close to this, there's a line going through the middle, and that's a timeline. The, the blue lines are Old Testament targets. So in other words, in the Bible, there are references and verses which speak to another part in the Bible. Like, and the red section is the New Testament target. So you see red lines going from here over to there. So there are lots of things mentioned in the Old Testament part of the Bible which refer to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, there are things referring back into the Old Testament part of the Bible. Now, above the line, the target is later in the Bible. So you're talking about in the future. The, the lines, the target underneath is referring to an earlier reference in the Bible. Now, some guy has got all the reference, the 3,800 3, references in the Bible and saying, how does this all fit together? And he came up with a pattern like this. I think it's just an amazing pattern. But it's just saying to me, when I saw it, I thought, how amazing is our God? That the Bible is such a wonderful, engineered book put together. And as Bob was saying last week, we can't ignore to feast on the Bible, however we do that. He was very, Bob was very gentle with you last week. But I'm an older man, and I'm not quite so gentle. 
If you're not reading your Bibles on a regular basis, you have no desire to engage with God. That's a negative statement. I know it is. And it's showing contempt for that faith we've said we'd had in Jesus. That's quite a negative statement. But if you're not reading the Bible for yourself, if you're not, it's engaging with the truth. Okay, reading your Bible seems a bit practical. But if you're not engaging, if you're not reading it and taking in the truth of your Bibles, I say you've got no desire to engage with God and you're showing contempt for what God has done for you. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who feeds on me will be filled up spiritually. And so my challenge is to you this morning, get to love the scriptures. Get to love the word of God. Because you probably won't move very far forward unless you do. Now I know that's a negative statement, but I want it to be strong so that we might understand it. Because if we're talking about growth in the prophetic, how God manages his church, it won't mean a lot to us. And we won't move very far forward and we just seem like a loose limb. We think we'll feel like an extra in the church and not part of it. And we want to be in on it, don't we? We want to be right in at the centre. So my challenge to you this morning, you can't afford not to engage with your Bibles, to engage with God through the Word. Now, that really, that's my first point, really. Growing in the prophetic, we need the power of the Word of God and to engage with it as regularly as we can. I think, uh, in a sense, the, uh, we read and we find different people in the Bible, they engage with it three times a day. They prayed three times a day. So the next thing we need to do, if we're going to pursue any gift of, of prophecy or working in the prophetic God works with his church, we need to pray also. Now, I don't know about you about praying. It's so hard. I just struggle with it. Day after day after day. And um, I try to do it most days. Um, sometimes one period of the year, more others, when we've got more daylight hours, it seems more con convenient and conju conducive to do it then. But um, one day, I, I was a bit busy, and I said, um, uh, oh, well, I won't do that today. And then... A sort of voice spoken to me, something dropped in my spirit. He said, are you going to work today? <laughs> no, I was retired, so I wasn't going to the work anyway. But I felt God was saying to me, come on, you've got to go to work today, mate. And you need to be praying. In prayer, we engage with God. And we need to know that that too is important. So if we're going to grow in prophecy or grow in the prophetic, two fundamental things... And when we pray, if we're thinking about speaking into people's lives and speaking into the body of the church, we need to be thinking about those people as we pray. And I know how easy it is to rattle off a list of prayers. You know, you tick, 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 tick. But I think if we want to be a blessing to someone, we need to sit down and think about that person. Think about how, how they're doing. Maybe phone them up, ask them how they're feeling. And um, might even say, well, God, have you got a word for them through me? And we're engaging 
with what God's doing with them. So there's that important part that we don't just tick off things in our prayer list, but we actually sit down and meditate and think about that person, think about the church, ask yourself the question, well, where are we as a church? What, what do you think God wants for the church? What does God want me to do in the church? What does God want me to do for him? Are all designs of the prophetic at work because God is managing what he wants to do through the prophetic activity in the church. I'm going to read now in Acts chapter 8 and just pick up a few points. Prophetic activity in the early church. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, that's Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. I just want to use the words of someone we know and has, has ministered into Beacon Church in the past. And this is what he puts on the back of his book. How does someone seeking to please God with their life make choices of where to go, what to do, who to work with? How does a local church know whom to release into his ministry? What programs to run and where to focus their mission? I just want to superimpose those words over what we just read in Acts 8. How does someone seeking to please God with their life make choices of where to go? I thought of the Syrian church fleeing the war, being dispersed. How do you want to please God in that sort of situation? I'm thinking of Christian migrants coming onto the shores of our country, being dispersed from other parts of the world. And they're asking the question, where do I go now to please God? Thank you, Father, for bringing me safely here. Those questions which are asked. And this situation in Acts 8 is life's decisions and the prophetic culture. Which is the more demanding? My domestic situation and comfort or the kingdom of God? Was God allowing a forced scattering for a higher cause? I can imagine all the secret meetings. What do you think is best? Shall I go today or wait a while? Who's going to bury Stephen? Well, we've got to get out of here quickly. My children have just started school. My parents need me. Asking the kingdom questions and living with the kingdom answers. I just thought of how awful the situation that was when those early Christians were scattered. What do we, what do, we do? In some way, we're all asking the question, I want to know the truth, God. I want to know what you want me to do. And I want to know how to handle that. And within the body of the church, the prophetic has worked. And someone might make a suggestion. 
But the important is to know that it's God directed and how that's brought into our lives. You know, the crowds had been listening to Stephen on that earlier and uh, they were paying attention to what was being said when they heard the signs that he did when Philip went down to Samaria. And he would read, For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many were paralyzed or lame, were healed. Verse 8 says, So there was much joy in that city. From that dispersion, Philip went down to Samaria. This is the note. The word and the spirit partnership create the advance of a prophetic culture. In verse 6, we read that the people heard and saw. They heard and they saw. When Luke was talking about Jesus, he recorded all that Jesus said and he did. What he said and he did. And there's power in that. Growing in prophecy or in the prophetic is based on two powerful things that work in the church. The word, our Bibles if you like, to put it simply, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come on the church and was working. Philip's an interesting guy. But you know, with Philip, there was an elephant in the room. He preached the gospel. That elephant was a spiritual element. Philip preached the gospel, and people were baptized in the name of Jesus. That constituted the faith in Jesus, the believing and being baptized. If you listen to James, faith is not important unless the two go together. It's believing and being baptized. The two go together. That's an act of faith. And so Philip was preaching that message and people were believing and being baptised. But there was an elephant in the room and it was this, that Philip was not going ahead and leading them to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's quite strange because, you know, Peter and John came down when they heard what was going on in Samaria. And, you know... They, laid, they saw that the people could have the Holy Spirit the same as all the other people, but Philip wasn't going that step further. And I don't know why. I can make one or two, three suggestions, but he wasn't preaching a message to engage people with the Holy Spirit. And I need, we, if we're going to pursue the prophetic and grow in the prophetic, we need to pursue that cause and to make sure people engage with the Holy Spirit. That was the elephant, and that's why Peter and John came down. Simon was an elephant in the room, but he was a little elephant. Philip hadn't discerned it so, neither was there any call for repentance from Simon, as he believed in Jesus. Simon had been performing magic arts and doing all sorts of things, not in the name of Jesus, but in the name of mag magic and other spirits. And he became a believer and was baptised. But later on, when Peter and John came down, 
they came down to deal with both elephants. You know, elephants march in and out of the church quite regularly, and we don't deal with them. But you just think, how do we deal with things? Maybe it's the wrong spirit in someone. Maybe it's a group of people who actually sort of tend to isolate from the other part of the church. Sometimes those elephants need to be dealt with. Maybe it's someone who's saying something which is wrong. And sometimes those elements, those elephants don't get dealt with. But Peter and John came down from Jerusalem having heard what Philip was doing. You know, and now they came down, we find that Simon, Peter said to Simon, he said, Simon, if you want to go on any further, you need to repent of your past. You'll read that further on in the sports. That's the way you engage with the Holy Spirit working within you. But, you know, Simon said, you pray for me. No, Peter was saying to him, you need to deal with it yourself. And when we come face to face with God, we need to deal with those spiritual issues, especially those things of the past. Sometimes that can be an elephant in the room. But what I'm saying is the power of the prophecy and the prophetic is burst when we engage fully and totally with the Holy Spirit. We do that check on ourselves and say, am I an elephant? Does what I am I being like an elephant? Am I hindering what's going on? We need to seek God. That's, that's the prophetic at work. It's asking questions of ourselves. And the last point here later on, as Philip is, is, is being drawn to this treasurer from Ethiopia reading the scriptures, he asked what... I will call a prophetic question. He said, do you understand what you're reading? I think that's quite important. Sometimes I go into people's, or in the past, I'm retired, we go into people's houses and I think sometimes, and I see objects around the house and I see the way people behave and I see, I just listen and elements and I, and I think to myself, what question can I sensibly ask these people to try and create a conversation that I might talk about Jesus. And it begins with a question. And I think the sense is, when we're meeting people, we can say, Lord, what question can I ask this person? What, what, can, I, what can I ask them? How can I start a conversation? How can I go a little bit further from this? So that's a way of growing in the prophetic. In the prophetic. And the last thing comes from that... From 1 Corinthians 14. And this is what it says. I'm going to get to it. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Eagerly, earnestly desire the spiritual gift. My final challenge to you this morning is, have you got that desire to have a spiritual gift? And I just want to challenge you on that point this morning. If we're born of the Spirit of God, and we're part of a church, we need to know what God wants us to do and to eagerly, eagerly 
desire. Maybe some of you have never thought about it. What gift does God want me to have, a use? Sometimes you have a sense within your, yourself that, that there's a possibility I could have this gift or that gift. But the point is, unless you want it, God won't give it to you. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Thank you, Bob.